0: This is the Your Kick-Ass Life podcast, episode 51, with guest Fabeku Fatimais. Any links and resources you hear in this podcast can be found by going to yourkickasslife.com forward slash five This is the Your Kick-Ass Life podcast with Andrea Owen, a no BS guide to self-help and badassery. Because ladies, let's face it, life's too short for it to not kick ass. And here's your host the girl who serves it up straight with a side of crazy, Andrea Owen. Hey, ass kickers. Very excited for today's guest, episode 51. But I wanted to tell you about something new that we're doing over here. If you don't have a copy of my ebook, 21 Tips and Tools for a Kick-Ass Life, no bullshit included, then you can get it. And it's really easy to do so. It also comes with the audio version because I know if you are a loyal podcast listener, you probably love the audio version as well. So all you have to do is text the word ass." that's K-I-C-K-A-S-S, all one word, to the number 66866. That's kick ass, all one word, to 66866. Confirm with your email and we will send you a copy of my free ebook and the audio version as well, so you can get that, and then you'll also get all of my podcasts to your email inbox and any blog posts I have too, so that's awesome, we're doing something new, welcome to the new millennium, Andrea, okay, so here we go, today's guest is Fabeku, here we go, Fatou Miche. Very, very complicated last night, but I think I did a pretty good job. He's a business awesomizer, punk rock alchemist, red shoe aficionado. He works with creative supernovas and world changers and future forces of nature to turn up the awesome in their business through the unapologetic transmission of their mojo, plus conjuring states of total coherence. This means more clients, plus more money, plus more momentum, plus the chance to unleash their magnum opus on the world in a way that actually works. In his spare time, he bangs drums, buys way too much tea, and covers his body in tattoos. What a great bio that is. You guys are going to love him. Here we go. Hey there, ass kickers. Welcome to the 51st episode of the Your Kick-Ass Life podcast. And I'm so happy to be here with Fabeku. Say hi. Hello, hello, hello. And I should warn everyone that today's – well, people know that – You know, when you follow someone that has the word ass in their business name, you know you're going to get some swear words in there. For today's episode, if you're in the car where there are small children, you might want to listen to this another time because Fabeku's even warned me that there's going to be lots of sweary things going on. (laughs) It's just part of who you are.
1: Yes, it is.
0: (laughs) It's part of your superpower.
1: Yes, it is.
0: (laughs) No one's ever sent me an angry email that that I I cuss too much, but... um, I just wanted to, to let y'all know, just in case, you know, you might be around, you might be at work or something like that, that there might be some extra F bombs dropped in this episode. Yes. Okay. So my first question. Sounds so professional, even though I'm not. <laughs> but my favorite thing about you, I have so many favorite things about you. I've been I've been following you for years and years now. And what I love is that you I mean, I have to say it's probably you have the privilege of helping people step into their bigness and what you like to say, identify their superpower. So can you let the audience know what that means in your own words and what that might look like for, say, the average Jane?
1: Yeah. So, you know, when it comes to bigness, I I talk a lot about basically there's, there's, uh, there's two parts of who we are. There's bigness and smallness. And Uh, the smallness is kind of that, that, uh, everyday unplugged, uh, fearful, limited, limiting part of ourself, uh, uh, you know, almost always plugged into fear. Uh, bigness is that kind of bigger, deeper, wiser part of us that's connected to love. I mean, some people look Mm -hmm. at that as soul or spirit or higher self, whatever. I don't really care. It doesn't matter. It's, you know, it's all the same shit. So, uh, that's the bigness part. And the, the superpower thing is it's this idea that, you know, we all have this unique uh, thing that we bring into the world. It, it's this kind of this unique frequency that we carry. And you know, most of us spend a lot of time thinking about who we are and what our roles are and what we do, and we kind of define ourselves through that lens. But to me, I think the superpower is uh, is is a I don't know more helpful way to look at who we are because it really gets down to that bigness. So, you know, for example, my my superpower is uh, it's unapologetic freedom. Mm-hmm. And so the idea is that the superpower is kind of that deeper part of who you are. And it's also the quality that you bring to every interaction that you have, whether it's with a partner or with your clients in your work or whatever it is, you know? So it's like, you're always showing up as sort of a, a transmitter of that frequency and uh, everybody has it. And, uh, knowing it, I think is uh, crazy useful.
0: Okay. So, and, and I love that. I totally agree with you that we do have these two parts of ourselves and, and we I think that I I don't know and would you agree that most people tend to come from the smallness part of ourselves the fear
1: Without a doubt. You mm-hmm. know, I mean the 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 shitty thing is, you know, most of us are not habituated into our bigness. It's exactly the opposite. Well, we're not we're
0: definitely not brought up in a culture to not at all. uh
1: <laughs> no. that's encouraged. No. no, that's the thing. I think bigness bigness uh can make people uncomfortable mm-hmm. and so I think that that we're sort of trained out of our bigness. Uh, and I think that happens to most of us when we 're kids, you know, I think probably by the time we hit age seven to ten we 've been uh pretty sufficiently trained out of our bigness, and then we spend the rest of our lives building up those muscles around smallness so the unfortunate part of that is that you know that becomes our our sort of default position, so much so that that a lot of times I have conversations with people and they can 't even believe that they have bigness inside of them, which I think is is just tragedy. completely it is it's a it 's a total fucking tragedy mm-hmm. so uh yeah.
0: It's, that's so interesting too, because I have running around my house, a five-year-old and a seven-year-old. My son is the seven-year-old and my daughter is five and she is, I mean, from the time she was put onto this earth, she is, she has bigness and I think that, um... And it's it's funny because she, we call her the tagger because she loves to – and, you know, it's not that great when she's taking a Sharpie to the walls. But, you know, and she tags herself and she loves to draw on herself and she loves to, like, decorate herself mm. and all of her toys. You know, and I was the kind of kid who, like, I kept my stuff – You know, looking nice and pretty, but she cuts her Barbies' hair and she draws all over them because she wants them to have tattoos. And and she just and she hates it when her clothes match. And she likes and to me, it's like I love that about her. And and it's funny because there have been times, especially when she was like three or four, and she was wanting to dress herself. And there was a part of me, and this is this is what the smallness was, where she would want to wear these completely crazy, mismatched, like Punky Brewster outfits. And I'm like, no, you know, and then there's that part of me that's, I, what I made that mean was that people would see that and say something about my parenting. Mm -hmm. Like, well, clearly that woman is crazy because she wants her child look like that. And her signature hairstyle is she likes one braid and one ponytail. And I Mm. can't tell you how many people have told me, oh, one of her braids fell out. And I'm like, nope, that's the way she likes it. That's her (laughs) signature style. And she's five, and, you know, and she sees, She sees women, you know, with purple hair and she gasps and she's like, Mm. mommy, that's so beautiful. And it's, I want so badly for her to hold on to that, but it's still an internal struggle of, you know, this, you know, I want her to, I don't want her to get made fun of. I don't want her to suffer, but at the same time, so it's interesting, this dynamic that I have as a parent watching that and wanting so badly for her to hold on to that. But, you know, and I think what happens is her bigness gets up in the grill of my own smallness.
1: Absolutely. I, that's, I think, beautifully articulated. Because here's the thing. When, when, when we are disconnected from our bigness, there's nothing more painful or challenging than being around somebody who's connected to theirs. Mm-hmm. Because, and because I think the thing is, uh, it, it's like it creates this kind of anxiety, this fear, this pain, this pressure on some level. And we don't, we don't really even understand what's going on and so I think that, that part of the reason that people are trained out of their bigness, you know, it's not because they're raised by shitty parents or they're around shitty people. It's that, it, that in an attempt to alleviate their own pain, we try to pull people out of their bigness so that, so that it, it, it releases that pain and pressure within ourselves, you know, and, and I, and I think, I think that's a, a, a totally normal, Thing to do. It's a natural reaction to that pain, but I, I think there's a there's an incredibly high price to that, you know, uh, for for everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and you know, I I it, it's interesting just listening to you talk about uh, the thing with your daughter because you know I'm not five clearly. I'm forty, and uh, <laughs> and I'm covered in tattoos 23, 24, whatever tattoos. Every time I get a new tattoo, my mom loses her shit. Mm-hmm. She, she completely loses my her too. shit, and and it's a thing of like. You know, for a little while, it was kind of this like, oh, God, you know, we're going to have this conversation again. But I get it. It's like she she is uncomfortable uh, about the way I show up. And I think on some level, she's worried, like, does that reflect poorly on her that her son is covered in tattoos? And so I think, you know, I think that's something that never goes away, whether you're talking about a five year old or a 40 year old, you know, in terms of the, the parent thing. It's uh, yeah, that's a that's a big deal.
0: That's funny. I got a tattoo a couple years ago and it was, you know, I I kind of easing myself in my first one on my foot and it was summertime rolled around and my mom didn't know. I got it in November and then spring and summer rolled around and, you know, everyone's wearing flip-flops at that point and... (laughs) We would go over. This is when we lived in the same area as my mom, and we would go over every Sunday to to have dinner over there. And my husband noticed I was changing my shoes, and I was putting shoes and socks on, and he was like, "Andrea, are you ever going to tell your mom that you have a tattoo?" And I'm like, "I'm not ready. I'm not ready yet to have this conversation with her because my mom's the same. Like, you just you those those people, right? You know. right.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> and it was so funny when I finally got up the courage to just I I told her before I showed her and. Um, and it's a beautiful saying it's to thine own self be true. I, I got mm. it because I, I got sober nearly four years ago and, um, and she just, I kept catching her staring at it, you know, mm. <laughs> like, <laughs>
1: yeah. it's going to
0: be okay. It's And I'm getting two more on my 40th birthday is in a month and I'm getting two more on the inside of my arms and she is going to probably lose it because, yeah. you know. <laughs> Because it says so much about her parenting. Yeah, I totally get it. (laughs) Well, speaking of mothers, you wrote a blog post, um, because you haven't always been like this, I take it, that you talked about how you're a recovering perfectionist, and it started when you were a kid. And in this blog post, you talk about that you got an A, I think it was in science?
1: Yeah. And your mom
0: mentioned that was good, but you could have gotten an A+. But I'm going to quote you here. Because I love this. You said, but really, I've spent my life being scared of letting people down and terrified of failing in front of an audience. So, not doing something that didn't seem like a slam dunk was way better than being slammed for doing it. And then you go on to talk about punk rock and how it's not perfect, but they did it anyway. And punk rock essentially revolutionized music and a generation. So, I know a lot of my audience struggles with perfectionism and exactly what you said about, you know, it's, it, didn't seem like it was worth it. So can you speak a little bit to that?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, I think that's probably been one of the, the biggest deals in my life. Um, I, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, when you get an A and somebody says, yeah, but it's not an A plus, you know, you realize the bar is set, uh, about as high as it gets. And I think there's this kind of constant pressure, uh, to meet that bar. And, and, it, and, and if you don't, uh, at least for me, I translated it as a, as a direct reflection of, of who I am as a human being. I mean, you know, it's not, uh, it's not, Oh, I missed the mark or Oh, I did my best, but somehow it's like, it just translates to, Oh, you didn't nail it completely. Then, you know, you're a total piece of shit. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I think at some point that, that does it, it creates this dynamic where, uh, unless I can tell on the front end of things and I'm going to totally nail it, I just didn't do it. And you know, who the fuck can ever tell on the front end of things whether you're going to nail it. I mean, you know, it's just, everything
0: really boring though. Right.
1: Completely. Exactly. You know but then all of a sudden you know I bump into this whole punk rock thing where you know they're they're not the greatest musicians, technically, but they're on stage, they're doing it, they're on fire, and it did it 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 totally changed music and created a whole culture and you know on and on and uh you know at some point and I think you know going back to the freedom part of my superpower, I think that's how i found uh started to find the freedom anyway to to do things that uh felt iffy you know to do things that I I wasn't sure I could totally nail but uh yeah that you know that that fear of failing was huge mm-hmm. and it's interesting now because I, I almost I very rarely feel that I mean sometimes I I feel it but uh it was such a giant part of my life for such a long time and uh now you know it it's it's not such a big deal uh, and I think a lot of that is because of, of uh plugging into the bigness more and more because you know I think one of the big differences between bigness and smallness is capacity and smallness has a profoundly limited capacity, and, and not just not just capacity in terms of what it can do, but capacity in terms of what it can see. And so, you know, being able to see ourselves as as anything other than totally perfect for me that was a that was a limited uh, my smallness had a limited capacity for that. In other words, either you're perfect or you're a piece of shit. That's it. It's mm-hmm. like a black and white thing. Uh, but you know, I think when you move into that bigger place within yourself, there's, there's more room there, there's a, there's a spectrum that exists and, and you know, plus that, that fear just goes away, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, it's, it, for me, it, it feels like it's been a long road to, to get away from that, uh, perfectionist thing. Cause it was, um, yeah, it was, it was a shitty deal.
0: Yeah. Okay. So I have, I have so many so many things popped up and I want to ask you, um, so I'm just going to pick one. So uh, you mentioned, you said something that stuck out to me. You said the fear just kind of goes away. So I feel like, and I tell all my listeners that um, in my world, I don't feel like fear ever completely goes away. I think it is something that we, I think we can be courageous and afraid at the same time.
1: Totally and I afraid. think for a
0: lot of people, um, well, I would even venture to say for all people that Courage and practicing your bigness and stepping into your superpower is a practice. So any of those things I just said, I know (laughs) I kind of hopped around, but so what do you think about like the fear? I mean, I'm totally open if you are in a place where fear doesn't exist for you. Tell us all how
1: you did. No. You know what? You're right. You're, you're totally right. And, and let me, uh, yeah, good thing. Good point. I'm going to back up and I want to say that in a way that that's actually clearer and more accurate. Because I've so got
0: perfectionists listening, for Baker, okay? They're going to be like, what?
1: <laughs> no, I get it. Right. So, so it's not that the fear goes away. What has gone away is the shaping power of the fear. Right, and I think I think those are two different things. Yes, and and I'm I'm glad that you mentioned that because it was interesting. A, a a couple of years ago, a few years ago, I noticed this pattern in interviews that I was doing. People kept asking me how I got to the point where I was fearless, and I was like, mm-hmm. "What the fuck are they talking?" About? <laughs> it's like, "What?" It's me. I, you clearly are, you know. But and so that's what I realized. I realized that somehow there was this mis- misconception that I was fearless. I'm totally not fearless uh, at all. I, I don't. I don't. I, yeah, that's just weird. I can't even imagine that, but. Uh, what has changed for me is I'm in a different place within myself so that I'm not being shaped by the fear anymore. So that the fear can show up, And I can see it and I can still keep moving in a clear, coherent, uh, forward-facing direction. That's what's different. Before, the fear was the barrier. It was the obstacle. It was the wall that I just couldn't move through. And now it it can be there, but it doesn't stop me from moving forward.
0: Got it. Yes. Okay. And I totally agree with that because I think that for most people, fear is their foundation and it's their come from.
1: Mm -hmm. And that
0: fucking sucks.
1: Yeah, it does. Yeah, it's And, and I think I can place. say
0: that, and you can too, because we've both been there. I used to live there.
1: Uh, listen, I I spent the first thirty plus years of my life living uh, in fear all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, high level, uh, everything from you know day to day stuff to high level anxiety to deep existential fear to. Uh, yeah, no, I get it. I I've spent 30 plus years deeply immersed in, uh, every flavor of fear there is.
0: Mm -hmm. And I love too, that you were talking about, um, that there's a spectrum now because I, I know a lot of my listeners struggle with that dichotomous thinking of it's, it's black or white, either I am perfect in all that I do, or I'm a shit mother or I'm a -hmm. shit business person. And, um, I've been there too. And I think, you know, I love that there's there's so much room. It's like you you start out in this either super hot tiny bathtub or super cold tiny bathtub, and you just pick one. <laughs> but now it's like we have this gigantic ocean to live in mm-hmm. where we can just sort of swim all around. And, like, it's still kind of scary sometimes. It feels like there's sharks in there, but we know that it's going to be okay. And I think, too, I think what's helped me a lot, and, and tell me if you agree with me, I think that, like, the whole – sort of like common humanity of it all, that like we really are all in this together and like that most of us spent probably like all of our teens and possibly 20s in that black or white thinking, the fear, and now we all still have it, but there is completely a place of, you know, call it what you want, recovery or enlightenment or <laughs> whatever, where you can both, you know, step into your bigness and be a little bit afraid sometimes too. But that that fear is just data.
1: Yeah, I think I think it's totally data and and what helped me was so, I spent a long time feeling like everybody had it figured out except me. I was the only yep. one that didn't know what the fuck I was doing. Um, somehow I missed the class that would tell me what the fuck all this was about. I
0: probably ditched that class. Right?
1: Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but then all of a sudden, like I reached a point where I'm like, wait a minute. Nobody knows what the fuck they're doing. Nobody right. has it figured out. No, we're all just kind of figuring it out as we go and making it up and fucking up and succeeding and fucking up and succeeding and, you know, just again and again, that kind of a thing. And, you know, for me, that's that's what opened the door to to you know giving myself a break. And uh, you know, I think, and it's interesting because to me, that's true no matter who it is, no matter how successful somebody is or, or sort of what elevated position they hold. I don't think anybody knows what the fuck they're doing no, at all. I don't. You know, and uh, <laughs> I think there's I think there's something pretty uh, freeing about that, and. Um, yeah, and you know, I think so. That's the other interesting thing about bigness that I want to clarify because we can talk about love and bigness, and that all sounds fine and fuzzy and whatever. But the, the reality is that uh, I think bigness is a vulnerable place. I think love is a vulnerable thing. Uh-huh. You know, I think that uh, one of the things that I say a lot is that, that love never guarantees certainty and uh but but fear does you know fear says if you don't do this then you're safe if you if you don't take this road then you know you've avoided this problem and so even though fear is uncomfortable it gives us some illusion of certainty but there's there's no certainty when it comes to love right and you're Gosh. in this open vulnerable exposed place engaged in this alchemical practice of loving and being loved and there's there's no certainty in that and and that uh, to me it's vulnerable and it, in moments it's Uh, Terrifying as fuck. It is absolutely terrifying.
0: It is terrifying. And oh, yes, it is. It it sure is. And I think that, um, and what I talk about too is that I don't think, I don't know if vulnerability ever really gets easier. I don't know. Maybe it does, but I think that. It definitely builds momentum, and it definitely, in my experience, builds confidence. And I think that the more we fail, and the more things don't work out, and sure it sucks, and we might like grieve over something, or we might feel badly about something, or whatever, we may have to, you know, clean up our mistakes and apologize to people. But I think the more that we ha- that we do that, the more we practice it. Kind of, you know, picking ourselves up after things don't work out and and being vulnerable, the more we realize, like, oh my gosh, I didn't die, mm-hmm. <laughs> I just got stronger.
1: Yeah, you know, for me, I don't, I don't know that vulnerability has gotten any easier. I think what what's happened is I've 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 built up a tolerance for the discomfort of vulnerability. Good way of putting uh, it. And I think that that that's the only thing that that's changed for me. I a vulnerability still feels. Uh, yeah, it moments, like I said, it just feels absolutely terrifying, but the difference is I'm able to, to stick with it and keep moving in that direction and not just, you know, bolt and, and run the other fucking way.
0: Yeah. It's sort of like, like conditioning or something like cross training or something. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah,
0: Love it. Love it. Love it. All right. So in an audio you created recently for a super special group that you have on Facebook that I I love being a part of, you were talking about identity, which is something you talk about a lot lately. And one of the tidbits that I pulled from this audio is you said, your sense of identity is tied to your sense of possibility. And the example that you gave in this particular audio was regarding business. But um, I thought of my audience. And when you said that quote, I thought, you know one of the, audi- the identities that might, um, that my particular audience might be stuck in is, it's not possible for me to step out of my comfort zone of maybe something like speaking up for myself or setting boundaries. So in playing with this exercise that you were talking about um, in this audio, how can someone who's struggling with those um, issues try on another identity to help them help themselves?
1: Yeah, so uh I think that that one of the the biggest problems with identity for most people is that they're not living in a in a present time identity. Uh the identity that they inhabit, the the way that they see themselves is built on uh usually a really unhelpful mix of shit. So it's it's things other people have said to us. Uh you are this, you you're not that, you could never be this, you could never do that. Uh shitty experiences from the past, all kinds of bullshit stories that we tell ourselves all day long. Uh, and all of those things kind of coalesce to to create this identity that uh, we believe is is us, but actually doesn't have shit to do with who we are. Uh, but the, the the really sad part is that people build entire lives around these these bullshit mixes of stu- of stuff that creates this identity. And um, I, I think the first way out of that is to realize that that that's happening, you know, to get that you're not living in a a present time identity. Uh, The other part is to understand that identity is a fluid thing. I think that we have this idea that identity is this fixed thing. And it's not, uh, I think identity is one of the most fluid parts of who we are. And, you know, I think one of the ways you can start to look at it is, is look at the pieces of, of identity that have held you back. The, the stories, the, the cans, the cans, the shoulds, the shouldn'ts, all that kind of stuff. And ask yourself uh, if, if this thing weren't true, what could I do mm-hmm. or, or, or who, who could I be? Or what would it unlock in my life if I dropped this story? You so know, like, because- so
0: for instance, let me cut you off for a second. And sure. Cause so The example about um, someone who feels uncomfortable speaking up for themselves. So probably the beliefs that they have around that are if I stick up for myself, then I'm a dick. If I set boundaries, then I am um, not being a good friend. Right. Those are just – so If those are beliefs that have been created somewhere along the way.
1: Yeah. So then what I would do with that, if I speak up for myself, I'm a dick, I would say uh, if that's not true – then what what would that make possible? What could I do if I didn't believe I was a dick? And how would those boundaries actually support uh my capacity for bigness, my ability to love more? How would it how would it support my relationships in my life instead of uh fucking things up? Uh and, and how would how would my my interior space change? If I was able to speak up for myself more and have stronger boundaries, you know, I think it really it's it's about playing with new possibilities and and I think you always know when you hit something that's useful because you'll feel it in your gut. Mm-hmm. You know, just, you'll thing. feel it. You'll, you'll know it. And and I when you when you play with these questions and you feel that ping in your gut. Focus on it. Follow it. Ask more questions of that feeling, of that frequency, to to play with uh, what it means and, and how it would, would change you and your life and your world and your relationships.
0: I had a client once that called that feeling scared sighted,
1: mm. which yeah. I love. I like that, yeah,
0: <laughs> because it is it like really encompasses those two feelings. Like it is a little bit scary to think about what else is possible because you are so used to being stuck in that story of of you know the crap smallness,
1: mm-hmm. scared sighted. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm
0: going to make it a thing. I'm going to make it a hashtag. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I have, I have one more question for you, and it's about a, a blog post that you wrote about about creativity. And it's, it was like poetry. So I am going to read it because it was so beautiful. And the blog post is, is called You Will Get Dirty. And you guys, if you're listening and you want links to any of the posts that I talked about, if you go to yourkickasslife.com forward slash five one, all the links to Fabeku's website and these blog posts that I'm talking about are there. So this is an excerpt from this, from this beautiful blog post. Please fasten your seatbelt. The creative process is messy. It's supposed to be. And I really, really want you to grok that. Because messy doesn't mean that your idea sucks, or that you're not qualified to do it, or that no one will care when you do it. It doesn't mean that you should turn back, or wait until later, or pick something easier. The fact that it's hard doesn't mean you're fucking up. The creative process isn't a civilized act. Napkin tucked in your lap, pinky finger extended just so, it can be knock down, drag out with size and explosions and crazy dreams. But crazy dreams are what got you here in the first place. So dig in, go deep, get dirty and hold on. That's so beautiful. Thank you. And when I read that, I actually thought to myself, this is this isn't just the creative process, but this is how life is.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And just because life is messy doesn't mean we're doing it wrong. I have a uh, I love the author Glennon Doyle, um Melton and she says, "Life is hard not just because we're doing it wrong, just because it's hard." So, in in terms of of that relating to life, what are your what are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, you know, I one of the things I really struggle against is the idea that if if what we're doing is right, that it'll be easy. And that'll that it'll feel good, and that all of the pieces will somehow be magically delivered to us by <laughs> unicorns and shit, right? That uh, to me, I, I don't. If that's true for people, they know something I don't fucking know me too. because uh, that's not my experience. I think that we can do something that is completely right. And it can be painful and hard and scary and and uh, difficult. It can take time. It can be frustrating. It can be infuriating. We can be covered in blood and sweat and tears. And it can still be exactly the right fucking thing. And uh, I think that, that uh, smallness will tell us that pain and discomfort is a signal uh, of a problem. Uh, I don't think that that's necessarily true. I mean, it can be, sure. But I think that, that if we get into that idea that the right thing is, is easy and that it'll feel amazing, uh, I, I think w- we're going to miss a lot of opportunities. And I think we're also going to end up in a, in a pretty delusional place because uh, some of, the, some of the, the best things I've done in my life have been the hardest things. And some of the, the best decisions I've made have been absolutely heartbreaking. And, uh, yeah, I, I think that if, if we translate that messiness as a, as a problem, Then we're setting out to fix something that's actually not broken in the first place, you know, and, uh, and, you know, going back to the, to the perfection thing, I think that, that if we, if we look at this and, you know, we're trying to build a life, build a business, build a relationship, build a whatever, and it's feeling hard for us and we believe it's easy, then of course we translate that as, well, I'm fucking up. Mm -hmm. You know, this, this thing is easy for everybody but me and I'm the idiot that can't figure out how to do it right. Uh, i, I don 't think that 's true I think that that uh, life is hard and it 's difficult and there 's painful shit and and that 's you know that 's not a sign of a problem, but uh, I think just knowing that is important and I think the way we move through that is we we plug back into that bigness we we develop that tolerance for discomfort and uh, and we stop thinking that, that it 's easy for everybody but us because right. that's it 's bullshit i mean it 's just total bullshit you know and um yeah, I, I think that um, I think that messiness is just—it's just part of the puzzle, you know. I don't—I—I I don't know how to, to to do things and live life in a way that's not messy. Um, like I said, if somebody's figured that out, uh, please have them call me. Because I, would, I, I would love <laughs> to know the secret because <clears throat> I am clueless.
0: Yeah, I know. I mean well. Anyone who's owned their own business knows that oh, everything that you said is true. I I didn't realize—I don't know if you knew this, but. I didn't realize that owning my own business was going to be, like, the biggest self-help workshop <laughs> I'd <Indeed>. ever taken. <laughs> Absolutely.
1: No, that's the thing. Like, I, and I've said it to people before. Like, if you want kind of a, a, a full frontal uh, alchemical uh, experience of, of spiritual development, start your own business. Yeah. You know? uh, that's, that's it because you will come up against every fear and demon and pile mm-hmm. of messiness that you have ever had and shit that you've never even been aware of that you have. You will land face first in that shit a thousand fucking times and sometimes a thousand fucking times a day is how that goes. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Not trying to
0: scare you or anything, audience. No,
1: that's, <laughs> I, listen, I, here's the thing. I, well, you know One of the things that I, I don't I, – I think there's kind of a, a, a problematic lack of real talk out there uh whether that's in, in entrepreneurial circles or just life circles and uh when we pretend like it's all unicorns and rainbows and shit it sets people up for feeling like they're fucking up no. i think it 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 makes people again believe that everybody is doing it right and easy except me so something is wrong with me i'm broken i'm whatever uh, and that's you know that's not the reality of it and i think that part of the antidote for this as a community is the willingness to engage in real conversation and not pretend like Following your bliss is this easy shit because it's not. No. It's not at all. Uh, and I think that, that it's important for people to understand it. Like you said, not to scare people, but so that you, when, when you run into your own difficulties and land face first in your own shit, you realize that you're laying next to a million other people that are in the exact same place having the exact same experience that you are.
0: Absolutely. You know, can I get a fist pump right there with that? Because I, you know, when I help <clears throat> when I'm not helping women practice courage and life coaching, I, I do consulting with, with brand, brand, brand new coaches. And I'm flat out tell them sometimes I'm like, it's not systems that you need. You need to get your own coach or you need to go back to therapy because <laughs> it's you have to work on your own shit. You yeah. have to. Absolutely. I, I'm a true believer that we can't take our clients, like as coaches, we can't take them farther than what we're willing to go because totally our, agree. like, you know, to speak your language, we can't help people step into their bigness if our smallness is, is driving the car for them.
1: Totally it's agree. It's not gonna happen. You know, one of the th- super quick story, one of the things that happened years ago, uh, as my business started to ramp up, I was in my office and all of a sudden I just had this idea, like, fuck it, I just wanna go work in the stock room of a bookstore. Uh, made no sense at all, came kind of out of the blue. And what I realized when I dug into it, it it was that fear of failure. It was the fear of, I don't know if I can pull this off. Mm -hmm. And so rather than than risk that failure, I would rather just say, fuck it and shelve it and go do something that I know is easy. And I had this moment where I realized, it's like I tracked back through my life, how many times have I done that? This is the same shit I've done again and again and again and again. And the opportunity here is either I do the same shit that I've done or I clean up my shit and move forward. And that was it really felt like one of those kind of crossroads moments. I can either default or I can make a different choice and that 's what I did. I decided to to dig into my shit and sort it out and continue to move forward. Uh, but it was a big deal, and to me, that was one of the most important and not not just professional i mean who gives a shit professionally, but it was it was one of the most important points for me personally. Uh, to clean up that shit in my life because that's what I'd done for 30 plus years. Uh, w- whenever there was that fear of failure, it was like, fuck it, shelve it, move on. And that was it. And uh, yeah, to me, that was that was not uh, not an acceptable choice at that
0: point. Oh man, yeah, I hear that. And it, f- it feels like too, and I think this is pretty common, like every time either it's my personal life or business, and it happens actually more often in in my personal life, but every time it gets up-leveled, every time like things get better or keep getting better, it's it's like I have to go back and work on the same stuff again because it's you know it's like the smallness comes out and there and it's like this isn't gonna last or it's gonna get mm-hmm. messed up or and so I have to go back and work on stuff but um, I I totally hear you I have a similar story and and um, mine is I was fourteen and I had played tennis since I was three I grew up on the tennis court I mean my best memories are there every time I hear a tennis ball can opening and smell Mm -hmm. it. I I think of my parents and um, I just, it was a really, really great memories. And so I took private lessons and group lessons and my dad was my coach for a while and um, played really, really well. You know, when I was 14 years old and it was time and I was a freshman in high school and it was, you know, the summer before freshman year. And my dad suggested that I try out for the tennis team. And so he dropped me off and I remember looking through the chain link fence at the girls, the girls' tennis team, and they were, you know, they were there hitting balls. And I remember watching them for a couple minutes and some of them were better than me. And that was it. That was all I needed to know to quit.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I went to the payphone, and you know, this was still in the time of payphones, so it was nineteen ninety and um nineteen eighty nine, yeah. And I called my dad to come pick me up and I quit tennis that day. -hmm. And it breaks my heart. I get emotional even thinking about it because now, today, when I pick up a tennis racket and I think about, like, you know, if I would have kept playing and just, and I would, I would, even in the yearbook, I would look at the tennis team and I just, it's where I belonged. It's absolutely without a doubt to me where I belonged was on that, was on that court because I felt amazing when I was, when I would play. I was good. Mm. I was really good. Mm -hmm. But I made up. I mean, it was like my smallness came to the tennis court that day and that was it. And, it's something, it's a regret that I have. And yeah, but it's, I mean, that still shows up. And I think that I've done a lot of work and, and all of you guys listening, it's like, if you have, I'm sure everyone has stories like that. And I use those as a barometer, use those as, um, you know, motivation if you can to, to let you know that it's not, it's just, it's unacceptable.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, the thing is the, the regret piece is interesting for me because uh, when I look back, I, I don't regret, I, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't regret the shit that I failed at. Uh, I regret the shit that I quit. Uh, exactly. that's, that's uh-huh. really, you know, those are the, those are the things that really caused me, uh, pain at this point. And it's interesting because, you know, at, at the time the failures happened, of course, you know, with the perfectionist stuff, you think that's it. Like that's the, the existential failure of your entire life. Now it's like, who gives a shit? But uh, that, that stuff that I said, fuck it and put on the shelf because I was too afraid, uh, I, I still, I still regret those things mm-hmm. deeply.
0: I love that yeah. you made that, you made, um, um, clarified that it's definitely cause I have gone for things and failed and now, I mean, it's still a little bit painful, but it's like, I almost get a little bit excited. I'm like, okay, what can I learn from that? Like, let's, <laughs> let's hack mm-hmm. into that and see what happened and see what I need to own mm-hmm. and see what I need to work on. Um, but yeah, it's the quitting part and it's the not going after things completely. Those are the regrets for sure. Yeah. Okay, well, yeah, we have reached yeah. the end of this. Thank you so much for all of your wisdom. There's so many great takeaways in this episode. And so tell everyone where is the best way to find you and come and say hello.
1: Uh, yeah, uh, fabaku.com is the easiest place. Uh, I'm also pretty uh, active and accessible on Facebook. Uh, theoretically on my site, there's a Twitter link, but I'm never there, so don't bother. Um, so yeah, either either my website or Facebook, those are the, those are the two best Yes, places. and
0: if you guys – if you either friend request him or follow him on Facebook, he – every morning – wakes up and tells you how his morning is going and tells you how his cat is doing. Now, is your cat's name Elgato?
1: No, uh, it's actually Sid. Sid. Yeah, okay. Sid.
0: I, I didn't know if you had two cats or if it was one. With a nope. Pseudonym.
1: I just have one. No, just one really big, spoiled pain in the ass and completely amazing cat. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I
0: miss that. My, I, can you believe I married someone who's allergic to cats? It's kind of a tragedy. <laughs> oh, I just, I actually Googled the other day, like, best cats for people with allergies and i kind of brought it up to him and he just like gave me this look like are you and his is bad because i when i first met him i was like he's probably just one of those people that says he's allergic and he 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 likes cats but it's bad it's like swollen eyes and like for days and i'm like oh man we have a dog though so (laughs) she's great All right, Fabeku.com, everyone. Run out and check him out. He's amazing. And thank you so much for being here. And we will see you all next time for episode 52. Until then, see you in cyberspace. Bye bye.